feel like your home or family culture is more negative and problem-focused than you would like? Or do you find that most of your interactions are reminders about what someone isn't doing and you're just noticing all the deficits in your life instead of all the gains? Or maybe you notice but the pattern is so ingrained in you that even noticing doesn't seem to change it. Do you wish you knew what would actually help you make that shift to greater positivity and keep it for more than a minute? In today's episode, I'll give you tips and insights on how to do exactly that. I'll teach you tricks from John Gottman, Peggy O'Mara, Mayo Clinic, and many more. Let's get started. I'm Kendra Nielsen. Welcome to Fulfillment Therapy, where you will improve your relationship with yourself, your loved ones, and with God. You'll find healing, wellness, crucial mindset shifts, and self-development help. I'm a licensed therapist, personal trainer, and coach. In this podcast, you'll learn the skills and confidence needed to transform your life from merely surviving to living a fulfilling, flourishing life. You can't reach your God-given potential and become who you were meant to become by remaining where you are. If you're ready, we'll create an ignited life you can't wait to wake up to. And yes, it's possible. It's your time to shine, my friend. Welcome to episode 13. Changing the culture of negativity and problem-focused narratives in your home. So if you're a parent, and especially if you have kids that are old enough to have regular chores, you're probably spending a lot of your time reminding people of their responsibilities. I know that is honestly what feels like my life most of the time. You start to feel like a broken record, and eventually you get to that place where you resent yourself and the other person quite a bit. So boundaries come in really handy with that, and I've already given an episode on that. But there is good news. There is a whole boatload of things in your lane that you can do that have nothing to do with the other person. And that's good news because then you can control it. There's something that you can do about it. You might be tempted to disagree with me here and say, no, if they just did their chores, if they just did what I asked them to do, then things would be so much better and there would be less contention and more peace. Well, I sort of want to laugh and say, oh, that's cute. <laughs> because this mindset is a little naive. My friends, there will always be unfulfilled responsibilities by someone. There will always be someone that's failing to meet your expectations. So what do we do about that? Well, I'm going to start with a story, of course. Stories are so fun, I just love them. So there's this young girl I knew who grew up with her stepdad, and he was really quite critical. It was a different culture than this young girl was used to because as a younger child, um, she didn't have him in the picture and that wasn't the case. She really tried to do what her stepdad asked because she had this really obedient nature. But no matter what she did, all the feedback that she got from him was really quite negative. And not just for her, but for her siblings as well. 
and it really started to have an effect on her self-esteem. Now, he wouldn't ever say things to her like she's stupid or fat or worthless or anything like that. And he didn't beat her. He wasn't an addict. He really had that stability that she wanted. But over the years, that, that critical problem-focused atmosphere was just too much. Despite these good things that he did bring into the picture, and there were several of them. But that environment, that negativity just increased, slowly but surely. And she didn't understand it then, but later on, looking back, she realized that she started to develop a lot of depression, likely because of that. I mean, I'm sure there are many different factors there. She started to sleep a lot, and she lost interest in activities that she once loved. She really started to internalize that negativity in her life and began to see herself as less than and started to see herself as more incompetent. And that belief lived within her for years. The more unhappy the family became, the more that fighting increased. And it just felt like it was, for her, like a slowly building, again, this word that I don't love, <laughs> toxic volcano. So I'll share the rest of her story in a minute. But first I want to share some tips and some tricks, and then I'll bring that around to talk about it again. Now, I'm sure you've heard of John Gottman. He is really big on um, couples, so couples training. I did a lot of couples training from the Gottmans, and there's something they call the magic ratio. And I just love this. It's very simple, easy to remember, and one thing everybody can work on. So the magic ratio is five to one. For every negative feeling or interaction between a couple, there needs to be five positive feelings or interactions. And again, I don't love that word needs, but it's important that there's the positive to the one negative. And I love to apply this to parenting too. I'm not sure why more people don't talk about this, but I practice this myself and I see the amazing fruits of that, or I try to, right? It's very hard to maintain that five to one ratio, especially when your job is to remind and to help them learn and they are young people. It's really important that there's a safe environment where children and all humans can open up and they can share and they can thrive. And we do that by having that positive culture. So it's about catching your family members doing something that's right. And I know that is very hard to do. In the moments when we are aware and we're not distracted, that can be easy. But the nature of having a family, especially a young family, can be very distracted, putting out a lot of fires and just doing all the to-dos and going through the list and just really surviving, right? But we are looking for something that is a step up from that. The whole point of this podcast is going from surviving to thriving. Did you know that when you focus on what's going right, we're happier, obviously? <laughs> but this decreases cortisol and the brain produces serotonin, which then in turn makes you more calm and emotionally stable. And this helps you be less anxious. It helps you focus more. helps you find more joy and contentment, really. You're going to be more resilient to setbacks and be able to connect better with other people. And this is really what we want for our loved ones. So the more positive we are, the more you build those super highways that I always talk about in your brain. Those neuro pathways that will eventually become your freeway. Or the path that your brain will 
begin to choose over those old negative highways. Like, you're not doing this. You're not doing this. Why haven't you done this? You still haven't done this. All of those things that you might find yourself saying again and again. Your thoughts need to be strong enough and persistent enough to change your actions. So one study I read talked about how they studied 73,000 people. And they found that the positive thinkers were more likely to live longer and manage stress better. So I just encourage you, if you want that... So I just encourage you, if you want to live longer, if you want to manage your stress better, if you want to change those neural pathways into more positive ones, then really try to do the experiment of having more of the five to one ratio in your home. For my clients, I even have them put up a reminder. It doesn't even have to say anything, just five to one in different places in their home where they can be reminded that like, oh, self-check being negative. It's okay to have every once in a while that negative feedback as a teaching moment. Sometimes we can't just be positive all the time. But then put in those deposits where there are five positive to one negative. This can be begin with your journal, your gratitude journal, or in your prayers, or in whatever that might be. You can write it down as a way to start that and strengthen those neural pathways. But it's also very important to say these things verbally and to the source. Remember to say these things out loud, especially to your loved ones. So I had a client recently that had a birthday and she told me how incredible it felt when so many people expressed their love for her and shared what they loved about her specifically. She said it was almost like she had this um, large energy field around her and that it was pulsing with positivity. I'm not using her verbiage here, so I don't remember, but like there's this connection there that wasn't there before. She felt so unified and joyous. And I'm sure you felt something similar to that when you've been around people that have really expressed their love and support. You just feel so connected and filled with this joy that wasn't there before. But isn't it interesting how the opposite can also be true? Like what happens when we listen to maybe negative news or when we have negative self-talk or we criticize other people or people criticize us? What happens to your stress level or your anxiousness and your overwhelm? How connected do you feel? How present do you feel? These things all are very much impacted by the power of our words. So I was reading this one article by Dr. Debbie Sibler. And nothing in this article was really new to me, but it was just a reminder of why we do these things. She talked about how negative thinking is linked to anxiety and depression and chronic worrying, but also how people experience more sadness and fear and anger and even hopelessness. And then their negativity increases even more. As this happens, people become more guarded and untrusting, and they're less likely to achieve their goals. It also lowers our immune system and our self-esteem. And not only that, but it reduces confidence and decreases your energy. All very obvious reasons to practice more positivity. It's a no-brainer why we would want to have more positivity in our home. I love this quote that says, happiness is not by chance, but by choice. And that's by an author named Jim Rohn. But I'd like to add positivity to that. So positivity is not by chance, but by choice. 
So probably what many of you are wondering are like, okay, great, I want to be positive, but how do I counteract that? How do I just make that happen? And again, for more than like a minute. Well, I'm going to give you a few tips. I'm trying to think how many I wrote here. I think there's about 12. I'm going to give you 12 tips on how you can do that. And some of these I've discussed before because they tie in with a lot of different things I talk about in anything dealing with mental health and wellness. So the first tip, you surround yourself with mentors and people who are further along than you that will inspire you and uplift you. I've talked about this before, like that can be podcasts and audiobooks. Actually, that's the next tip that I want to talk about. So you spend more time around positive outlets than negative ones. So what is your ratio to consuming negative versus positive things? Minimize that interaction with negativity. So friends or media or those free time outlets that you have in your life, like Think of that right now. Which one do you feel like might be the most negative? Is that something that you could replace with something else, like a podcast or an audiobook or calling a friend that is really supportive and has this great outlook on life? Just imagine what that small step might be that would create that more for you. So again, one is surround yourself with mentors and people further along that will inspire and uplift you, and two is spend more time around positive outlets and minimize the negative like the news. So similar, but one is people, one is more things or outlets. Number three, get in the habit of writing and saying more positive things. And I just said this a minute ago, but put it in your goal planner too. So not just, like I said, your journal or your gratitude journal or things like that, but your goal planner. And if you don't have one, go ahead and get one. <laughs> so that you are checking in regularly with your accountability partner or maybe your loved one, spouse, whoever that might be so that you can learn to see the good because this does take practice. So the things that I'm working on, I'm kind of actually, I'm going to open it up right now. I'm going to open up my goal planner and tell you it changes every single week according to what is going on. But I have three, six, seven, I have between six and eight goals that I'm actively working on, the ones that I need extra accountability that I write down in my goal planner. The other ones, like for example, exercising. I don't need to write that down anymore because that's something I just naturally do. But I have different ones that I want to remember and that I report to someone on, like tracking family responsibilities, um, be in bed by nine or 9.30, I need to take more work breaks. I want to take more work breaks. Morning and afternoon movement. Texting my big three to my husband. Things like that that I'm, I still am not quite there, so I need a little bit more accountability. So an example of writing and saying more positive things, I just want to share really briefly. So my sister sent me this really sweet text about why she was proud of me. And you know how sometimes you don't even realize how much you need a really good connecting hug but then when you get it you're so surprised at how good it feels and how it fulfilled a need that you didn't even know you had until you got it well that's how it felt with my sister's text I didn't realize just how vulnerable I was feeling about launching my podcast by the way I'm like 13 episodes ahead so that's why you're just now realizing that I'm launching the podcast 
but I wasn't realizing just how vulnerable I was feeling. And then when a sibling especially sent me that text, I realized how much I needed reassurance. And it's the same thing with similar texts from other supportive friends and family. So please don't minimize the power of your words because it can be transformational in the day of somebody else, like it was with my sister. Well, like it was for me because of what my sister said to me. Number four, apologize and check in with loved ones to see how you're doing with building a more positive culture. So are you writing that again in your planner? Are you checking that monthly or even weekly, maybe even daily at first as you try to do that? Don't be afraid to check in and be honest about your humanity. They will love you for being open and being vulnerable and you're teaching them how to do that with their family as well, their future family. Number five, give reassurance to others. Give them maybe those connecting hugs that you desperately need. Give them those birthday wishes that my client loved. Give them that positive, loving text and be specific about things. Remember the positive ripples that it creates. So I don't know that I've specifically mentioned this before, but a ripple effect is where one action will spread and create a series of consequences. Those can be positive or negative. I actually have a quick story about that and what not to do. This is a little embarrassing, but it's sharing my humanity, right? So yesterday, uh, was it yesterday? It was two days ago on launch day. I told my daughter that she was acting crazy when she convinced herself she had to do something right then, even though she knew it wasn't necessary. And she ended up being two hours late to school because she was so determined to do this thing. And it was launch morning and this was a busier morning than usual with the kids, more chaotic than I thought it would be. Simply, I was not my best self. I was multitasking like crazy. I was trying to navigate the chaos of early mornings. And I, like I said earlier, I was feeling vulnerable myself and feeling a little stretched thin. But after my daughter went to school, I thought about how I responded to her and my use of the word crazy haunted me for a little while. And I thought about what kind of confidence I was instilling in her. I wasn't really building her self-worth. I wasn't at my best. I was tense and like I just said, I was vulnerable. I was reactive and, and really she paid the price for that. I did do damage control later and apologized. I let her know that my behavior was unkind and untrue, and that was wrong. I helped her understand why I was reactive so she wouldn't internalize it and blame it on herself. Even though there was a her side of the street here, I was, again, taking ownership for my side. And the interesting part is that when I do this, when I get humble, when I approach the other person, almost always that the other person takes ownership for their part without me having to lecture them or remind them or do any of those things. Now, not always, but often. So I thought about that. I thought about what ripples I was creating with my daughter when I called her crazy. Seriously, even just saying that out loud makes me embarrassed. But how did she do in school that day? How did she respond to her peers, her siblings? What was her posture? How attentive was she in her classes? I don't know, maybe that's something I could have asked about. But the chances are that when she went to school, because of our interaction that day, that affected her. What we say and do matters. So again, how do we change that? So another tip is at number six, 
Start doing family responsibility charts or some rendition of that. I'm still refining that process and we all have to do that because our families are also different. But I found that as I did, I could stop nagging my kids so much and let go more. I just simply wrote down the things that would help the house run smoother and that would minimize contention and that nagging and that would help them be their best selves. So I got input from them and we collaborated in this process. And I also tried to not let it be too much. So each month I edit that and change that a little more according to what we learned. That editing is an important part. Now after doing those charts, the best part is that I can let go now and let them take responsibility. And I get to see what they're doing right more often. So at least for us, and again, this is a, a document that we keep exploring and changing. We count up all their points and we talk about it and they decide how they want to use their points. So, so far they've chosen to do something on like a parent-child date that they want to do. And I let them have as much control over that part as I can. I read another article by Mayo Clinic that gave a few more tips that I'm going to add along with some of the ones that I gave. So number seven that I'm going to add to this, again from feedback on what they gave, was to just identify the areas that you want to change. So identify those areas of your life that you usually think negatively. So maybe that's when you're commuting or maybe it's at work. Maybe it's with a specific child. And start by focusing on one area that you can be more positive. Maybe it's like right after dinner when there's, you're doing chores. The eighth one is to check yourself. So maybe that's a timer on your phone or on your watch or something like that. That it's just a, this quick, how are you doing? I know there's a bunch of habit trackers out there where you can have it notify you and you can just check in like, this is how I'm doing with this. You could check that out. If you find your thoughts are mainly negative, try to find a way to shift that and make it more positive. Number nine, I love it's be open to humor. So give yourself permission to smile or laugh during challenges. Seek humor in everyday things. When you laugh at life, you feel less stressed. I feel like my mom is so good at this. I probably got this a little bit from her too. It totally changes the culture when you're able to just start laughing when there's a lot of negativity and you're, you're able to shift that perspective and then it's contagious as long as it's used appropriately and not as a way to mask things or to humiliate or things like that. Number 10. Follow a healthy lifestyle. So they recommend exercising for 30 minutes on most days of the week. And I've talked to you about this a lot. I don't need to add a lot to it. But just remember that this can very much reduce stress and alter your mood, which is what we're looking for. I want to say the same for that is going outside. It does the exact same things. Studies show that as we even just walk outside, how that improves your mood. And obviously with this is like a healthy diet, getting enough sleep. All those things help you manage stress better. Number 11, practice positive self-talk. Don't say anything to yourself you wouldn't say to someone else. So be gentle and encouraging with yourself. Think about the things you're thankful for in your life. Number 12, visualize making positive deposits like you would at the bank. So is your family bank account in the negative or is your family bank account increasing daily? 
I love that visual because that's something that I often think about. Like, okay, am I making more deposits with my child right now or am I withdrawing constantly and I need to really build up that bank account? So I know these 12 things are simple, but just ask yourself if you're doing them and are you making them a priority? Just focus on that one thing that feels like it needs more attention and intentionally create that more positive culture by focusing on that one thing. Ralph Marston said, being positive does not mean ignoring the negative. Being positive means overcoming the negative. So that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to overcome our challenges so that we can be more positive in our life. I want to end by going back to the story from the beginning that I told of the young girl. Well, in this story, the dysfunction continued to build and all the parties involved really struggled to manage that negative environment. And there were a bunch of other problems that sprang up as that, that negative environment increased. And the parents eventually divorced and the kids had their own roads of healing to navigate. So what went wrong in the situation? Her stepdad honestly checked a lot of those boxes. He was a pretty good provider. There's shelter, clean clothes, food. There were two parents. He loved his stepdaughter and the other kids. He supported them in some extracurricular things. But I think about the statement by Peggy O'Mara that often pops into my mind. She said, the way we talk to our children becomes their inner voice. I'm going to read that again. The way we talk to our children becomes their inner voice. That culture of negativity and fault finding was innocent enough at first for this young girl. But it's usually a bucket that we can never fill. Because we can never be happy when your happiness depends on what others are doing or not doing. So was the girl from the story a child that probably needed to be more focused on doing her chores well? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Developmentally, that's likely that that was the case. But how often was she hearing what she was doing right? Or even the other family members? Was she hearing what they were doing right? So after years of that, what effect do you think it had on her and on her inner voice or her self-talk and her self-esteem? And remember, this: these are stages when personality is being developed and it's a very tender stage. This young girl's stepdad wasn't a terrible man. His negativity said a lot more about him than it did about anyone else in the home. It turns out that he had his own story of terrible abuse, especially concerning his brother. And that reminds me a lot of the book A Child Called It. So he grew up in a home that demanded a scapegoat for that family pain, and most of them didn't know how to deal with those wounds or even heal them. And the pain of his childhood followed him as he raised his own stepkids and started to repeat that generational pain. So why am I sharing this story? Well, it's a true story, and it's a story about the ripple effects of negativity in even the most normal homes, built upon good intentions with regular people. But this story is actually my story. I'm the young girl. I hesitated sharing this story because I don't want to just share my stories. And I also want to be respectful of other people in the story that are still living. And another reason is that the story still makes me sad. Despite all my healing that I've tried to do, 
But I felt like it was important to share because I can personally speak to the pain that results from negativity from generational trauma. I saw my now um, ex-stepdad last at my brother's funeral and he ended up dying not too long after my brother did. But I'm glad that I saw him one last time because he was so childlike in his mental decline that he was experiencing and I was finally able to see him with more tenderness and mercy. Honestly, like all of us, he's human and he made mistakes. I'm sure it was very hard to raise seven stepkids. He experienced terrible trauma and that trauma often unintentionally probably hurt the family. So how am I any different or how are you any different than my stepdad? What do you think our children or your children will say about your family culture? I know if I for one have a long journey towards self-improvement but I'm trying to be intentional each day and sometimes that progress feels painfully slow. But then I remind my children and I remind myself that Heavenly Father knows what he's doing. We can remind each other that our human experience means that we are practicing every day. We are experimenting. And not every experiment we do will be successful. And that's okay. Own it and try again. And tell your kids the same thing. Hey, it's okay. Get back up. Own it. Try again. You're okay. We've got this. We make mistakes. I just want to end with a quote that I told earlier. Happiness is not by chance, but by choice. And again, I'm shifting it here. Positivity is not by chance, but by choice. So remember the magic ratio of five to one. Remember that your words can become the inner voice of a child. So intentionally speak words that will create positive ripples. And honestly, it's not even just a child. It can be a loved one, even as an adult. And remember to apologize for normal mistakes along the way because we will make them and that's okay too. I hope that these tips help you create a more positive culture for you and your loved ones. And as always, I pray that you'll intentionally act upon these things to create the future you and your family crave so that you can thrive more fully. And you can do this one small step at a time. No shame, just small incremental growth. That's it. As a reminder, my 12-week program, Igniting Life, will begin August 20th. So sign up soon on fulfillmenttherapy.org. Remember, org, not com. Fulfillmenttherapy.org. This is for you if you want that accelerated growth, but you need more help and structure and resources from a professional and trusted source. Remember, space is limited, so don't wait to sign up. And you can email me at fulfillment.therapist.gmail.com if you have any questions. Have a beautiful day and remember to shine boldly and brightly. You were made for great things. If this podcast has helped you gain the insights and skills needed to propel you towards transformation and joy, the number one way to help me is to leave a written review on Apple Podcast. Like you, I'm striving to become my higher self by helping others thrive. And I do that most effectively if you use your influence and give a review. Share this episode with a friend or share it on social media and let others know how it has helped you. 
I would be so very grateful and excited that we're creating positive ripples in so many lives. If you want to connect, you can find me on Fulfillment Therapy on Facebook and Instagram or go to fulfillmenttherapy.org. Thanks for listening and shine boldly and brightly, my friend.